this is The Dose, The Dose of Positivity, hosted by the one and only Mike Diamond. On this episode of A Dose of Positivity, I had the opportunity to sit down with a dear friend of mine, Dave Rodowitz. Dave and I have been friends for over 20 years now, and uh, he has been in the hospitality industry in New York City for over 20 years. Dave and I first met when he was a promoter and he had a uh, promotional company called Impulse Promotions with his good friend Adam Elsa and I had them as my main promoters back in 2004 when I was a partner in a rock bar, rock bar called Snitch. Dave has had an incredible career and um, over this episode you will realize the transitions and just what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, he's had some wins, he's had some losses, but he always stays consistent and disciplined and in the game. So I know you will be inspired, educated, and motivated from this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. It's a dose of positivity. I am super excited today. I have a dear friend, Dave Rodowitz. He's an entrepreneur. He's a restaurateur. Um, he's got a lot of stuff going on. So we're just going to dive straight into it because we have been friends for many moons now, many lifetimes. Dave, welcome plus, to the show. 20 plus. 20 plus years. How are you, brother? Happy to be here, Mike. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. I'm very excited for this conversation. I'm super excited. So I want to go straight into it. So 2003. We, I think we met before 2003, but 2003, we, we, we did some crazy stuff together where I was partners with Scott Weil and Duff McKagan and Brett Scallion, and we didn't have any promoters, but we had no. two guys, which was you and your, your good friend, Adam. Adam Nelson, my previous business partner for 12 years. Yep. And so I want to dive into it. So before you started promoting, you went to college yep. and let's talk about what you studied and let's talk about the transition of where you started off and then how, I mean, you really did in a short period of time get to the top of the game of the promoting world and it was yeah. grassroots. You did, you did, you cut through the noise. It was pretty impressive. So let's talk about college yeah. and, you know, all that so, stuff. Well, the funny thing is you and I actually met years before that, but you wouldn't remember that because you were just way too cool at that point. And I was like a young dude in New York trying to like get into bungalow and all your hot spots. Oh, you know, there, there was moments that I knew who you were, but you definitely didn't know who I was. But you know, um, hey, you know, it's funny you said that because did you, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but um, Adam begged me one night to go to Bungalow. That sounds and, about right. Adam lived at Bungalow 8. Yeah. And I got him in and I said, to, I mean, because I was like, I mean, he's my guy. He's all right. Yeah. But uh, but I was never a dick to you, right? No, 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 no. You're always lovely. Um yeah. So I went to University of Maryland, College Park, Smith School of Business, studied finance, and was always just entrepreneurial from being 13 years old, you know, working at the local bowling alley. Um, I got my uh, driver's license early so I could deliver pizza. I always just enjoyed that interaction of working, making money. I, I just, it was fascinating to me, like, you know, like just doing something and seeing that response. Um, so from a young age, I was just, you know, uh, active and working and, and like that correlation behind putting effort into something and then getting a compensation. It just, it, it made sense to me. Um, 
I went to college, studied business. Uh, I was supposed to go into finance, but I just found myself always kind of uh, finding my way into doing um, other business-related things while I was at college. I started an event planning company while I was at college, and I essentially became the social chair to the entire Greek life of the University of Maryland. So I would plan everybody's data parties, everybody's formals, and built a, a, a pretty big business from doing that, renting out venues in Washington, D.C., renting out venues in, in Maryland and Baltimore, um, the wrestling team, I'd hire the wrestling team to be my private security. And we would, we would, I would, uh, hire a, a fleet of buses and I would just bus people, hire DJs from Manhattan and DJ scribbles at the time. And we did some really cool, big productions. And I just, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to meet people. I like being around people. And I started to compile, um, a lot of vendors, a lot of venues and, that was kind of how the whole nightlife promotions thing started for me um, was this kind of boutique uh, event planning promotions marketing company. I remember AOL kind of hit the scene and I created an email account, eventplanners1 at AOL.com. And I made a, uh, a poster board. And the, the, the week I moved into college, I literally went to every single fraternity and sorority, put it on their front door. I went to every single uh, telephone post and paid my roommate. I remember I paid him $8 an hour. And this was like one of my best friends, by the way. <laughs> and just grassroots grinding, just like doing that. And I remember I would make a couple hundred bucks and that was the start of it. And it turned into a, a really big business that I did throughout my entire college career. Uh, that's where Adam and I became business partners. Um, over the summers, we would come back to New York City, and that's where we started to interact with people like yourself and other nightlife guys. And we, we really wanted to kind of corporatize nightlife. There was a lot of people that were in nightlife that were great at it, but really just liked the party. And that yeah. wasn't really... We had big networks. We knew a lot of people, but we thought that our niche would be approaching it with a little bit more professionalism. Um, we had a big office. We would hire all the promoters. We, we, we felt like we were um, hitting it from a different perspective, just like honest, good guys in an industry that uh, I think didn't really have that vantage point that much at the time. Um, obviously, you know, there was Noah and Jason doing what they do and some other huge people, but there was a, there was a gap, you know, of, it was kind of them and then everybody else. And we felt that, you know, we were organized, you know, smart guys trying to do business. And, you know, we, we grew up the ranks a bit, but then kind of hit a ceiling. Um, so we met. Let's talk about, that's amazing. Let's talk about, so when you, the one thing I loved about you and Adam, um, First of all, genuine. I, I could smell people straight away. I just loved you guys. And I remember when we had Vela and I mean, my partner, who was a disaster, Gable, let's be honest. <laughs> he was just like that, that. That snitch was such a layup. It was just, it was a layup. It was, yeah. I had Vela my friends. We were shooting a VH1 show. And yeah, I was doing way too much cocaine and drinking. But it was a layup. You know what I mean? It just yeah. like, just printed out. And, but the one thing that you guys did, which I loved was it was personal. 
Like I, I didn't trust anyone back then. And I was like, these guys are good. Like we have nothing to worry about. I'll never forget opening night when, uh, when Slash's leg was over someone's arm or something. And you go to me, dude, this is so cool. Before, so remember, you remember it was on the bed. Yeah, he was like, like things like that don't like, happen anymore. I mean, that was just no. the most intimate show so from good. mega rock stars happening in a venue that were that fit a hundred people. I mean, that was incredible. Dude overcrowded but but there was this thing so then when i got out you turned it into citrine correct right that's right we uh yeah so we originally partnered with your old partner gable (laughs) and then we bought john out of uh his part you know his piece of it and we created citrine and you know that was adam and i's first you know we had some uh, i guess you call like nightlife directorship or you know, sweat equity gigs that, you know, we were given equity to oversee and drive and run, you know, other people's businesses. Um, I think that was our first real, you know, raising money, being on the liquor license and, and taking a big swing out of trying to go to the next step in New York City nightlife. Um, it was it was great and it was said on our one year anniversary we had a big event set up. Uh, I'm trying to think who was DJing. I mean, some some real talent. You know, we had a lot of real talent that were that would perform there, and the city uh, padlocked our doors and shut us down. I didn't even know that. Wow. And three weeks later, they lifted the vacate order, so they shut us down because they said that our second form of egress wasn't a real form of egress. You remember that fire escape. We, before buying it and doing our, when we did our due diligence, that was something we were concerned about. We had a letter from the deputy borough commissioner of the DOB that said it was, which made us comfortable to raise money and go about, you know, participating in that business or buying that business. And they wrongfully shut us down by the time they lifted the vacate order, because we had to go through all of that red tape and head down to the DOB and mayor's task force, it was three weeks later. Every bottle customer was gone. Our image was tarnished. And we just took it as a sign. It was like, all right, this is that was a fun run, but this isn't really this isn't for us anymore. Wow. Um, so that was that was the end of Citrine. We had a great year. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, but, uh, from a business side, it didn't do what we wanted to do. All right. So then after Citrine, you started a restaurant group, correct? Yeah. So after Citrine, you know, towards the end of Citrine, we started, you know, uh, thinking about, you know, other things that we could do. We are we're in our late twenties, you know, and nightlife was fantastic, but it's a tough lifestyle. You know it. And it's also, you know, it, it's hard to build a real brand or product. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all based on you texting people and getting people out. And we just felt like there was something else to, to build. Um, and we wanted to, you know, build an actual product brand, not just build our names. We wanted to create something something else that had an ability to grow or scale. Um, so we started thinking about restaurants. At a similar time, uh, someone I grew up with, was um, met uh, a big chef named Alex Stupak. Um, Alex, who was a very decorated pastry chef, was looking to go out and create his own restaurant group called Empeon. 
the person that was at his business partner and was going to fund most of the operation uh, was a close friend of Adam and I's at that time. We all synced up, got to know each other, you know, got to know Alex, um, spent time together and decided to uh, join forces and, and we co-founded uh, MPAON and, and really helped activate Alex's vision um, and bring MPAON to, to reality. So that was our, it was weird luck and weird timing, but that was our, our segue really into full service restaurants um, that weren't about nightlife. They were about, you know, a culinary experience um, yeah. at a very high level. And we did, we did MPAON and um, it was five partners at the time. Adam, that was about 2011. And Adam left MPAON about 2014, 15, you know, to pursue some other opportunities. And I, I stayed as a co-founder operating partner until 2019. So I operated alongside Alex Stupak on the day to day. And then we had two other, two other partners. Um, and then 2019, I just, uh, a lot of other things I was thinking about, um, a lot of opportunities that were interesting to me. Um, I had a lot of, at that time, a lot more experience, I had a lot more confidence and I loved MPAON. I'm still involved just from a minority equity standpoint. I don't, I don't operate anymore. I don't run the business, but I'm rooting on, you know, the operating team and, um, but now I'm doing, you know, a bunch of other stuff that I'm very proud and excited about. So let's jump into the new stuff. One thing I was going to ask you, was it tough when Adam made that choice? Like your friends, your business partners? Yeah. Because yeah, that's a, you're, deep, you're very deep together. So you yeah, want to talk about that? I mean, you know, Adam and I were brothers, you know, yeah. and, and business partners for about 11, 12 years, you know, from college, fraternity life, you know, nightlife, and then, and then restaurants. Um, it was really tough. It took, it took a minute or a minute was more like, uh, probably a year to two. Um, <laughs> it's like a divorce. It's Adam and I, you know, you know, again, our relationship was more like brothers. Um, we, there was no, there was no problem between us. We, we didn't, you know, no one did anything to the other that caused Adam to want to, you know, pursue some other exciting things that were better for him. Um, but that doesn't change that our relationship had to change because we weren't, you know, looking out or protecting each other every day anymore. We weren't speaking 10 times a day anymore. Naturally that relationship came to an end for how we knew it and then had to find our new footing, you know, which took some time, probably a couple of years that, you know, we had to find what that looked like and, and get it to a good place, which we did. Um, you know, it was just different. So, um, you know, I love Adam to death still, you know, uh, you know, we still keep up with one another. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that took some time to find our new footing of what, what that meant. So now what are you jumping in 2009 or 2022? I mean, yeah. I know uh, you're jumping in with Gary V, which is incredible. You're doing this NFT stuff. So let's talk yeah. about it. It's pretty amazing. And there was some stuff in between, you know, um, for well, in 2019, uh, I moved out to the Burbs, you know, family life. And that was also <laughs> when I decided to, you know, step away from the day-to-day uh, of MPAON. So a lot of big life changes. I took a lot of risk at that time. Um, there was someone that I knew 
that uh, really enjoyed food and beverage and, and trusted me and um, we were going to pursue some projects. So for about a year, I was working on developing a few other uh, food and beverage products in the hospitality space. And the idea was to try to disrupt sub- uh, affluent suburban markets. I really wanted to bring, you know, elevated dining to affluent suburban markets. I moved to Bergen County and I just felt like there was a lot of white space there. A lot of people that, you know, enjoyed great products. They lived in New York City some years earlier and they, they made the same change that I made. It just made sense to me. Um, right. And then as I was working on that for a good year, I, I kind of realized a lot of the, the nuances of why um, that's a really difficult thing to pursue. It's a different lifestyle. It's more family. Um, you know, the, 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 the restaurants are more family friendly. You don't really get the same caliber of, of work talent. Right. Yeah. You know, we had a mass, you know, the mass transit around here wasn't as convenient as other places that might have more density. So I, I, I realized that, you know, the holes in my assumptions. Um, and I was, I was about to sign a lease on a big property with Simon Properties for a big asset that they had uh, called Riverside Shops. And I raised the money. Um, this was the one property that I felt confident in doing my suburban, you know, elevated dining meets affluent suburban business model. And I worked on it for a year and COVID came. Oh, wow. I'm about to sign a lease, you know, and, and that took a while to get, you know, Simon Properties comfortable with me as, you know, a new independent operator. Uh, I was looking to take over a a big asset of theirs, Um, you know, so to get everybody comfortable um, and for me to be seen as a credit tenant and to have, you know, the right guarantors took a long time. Um, And COVID came through uh, in February, early March. I paused on signing that lease, thankfully so. Um, And then... I quickly pivoted to a hospitality consulting agency. I felt like the best thing for me at that time was to leverage my know-how and my knowledge. And I thought that a lot of people would just need help navigating through COVID. You know, no one ever saw anything like this. There was a lot of things like, you know, the payroll protection program and government stimulus. And I just became very um, educated on that. And I felt like it was important to be liability light at that time and not raise money and not, you know, not just to have tons of exposure and to really just leverage my, you know, my, my brain. And I helped people for the next two years. Um, I just quickly, I built a, a hospitality consulting agency. I secured, you know, three to five big clients that um, one was a, a great donut business in New Jersey. I knew nothing about donuts and I helped them scale a little bit. One was Matt Shindell at the Ainsworth businesses. He had, yeah. you know, he had, he had a bunch of Ainsworths and he sold it to a, a former guy you knew, John Sullivan. Something yeah. happened there. Matt took it back and was kind of overwhelmed with a bunch of you know, uh, physical stores to operate in around New York, New Jersey, Kansas City, uh, Nashville. 
And I just, you know, really kind of jumped in and, and him and I had a lot of fun over the next year and a half, kind of restructuring, getting, you know, government funding to help afloat the businesses, restructuring his infrastructure. Um, and I really just did that for, for a year and a half, two years, head down, wow. not really thinking about anything else, but provide value and do the best I could. Um, I always did these things for myself. I never, I never packaged them into a, uh, a product or a suite of services for somebody else. So yeah. I quickly learned that I had to, I had, you know, no other income. I also, uh, I, so that event planning company that I told you about previously was impulse productions yeah. impulse, which was a nightlife company also had, a, had an event planning arm. And it still is an event planning company that uh, handles events for not-for-profits and some of the largest uh, Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 companies. I don't operate that business anymore. Um, I still own it. And my wife and uh, a couple other great colleagues, you know, drive that business. We, um, you know, and our largest client is the Standard & Poor's Dow Jones. You know, so at that time, our event planning business went to zero from, you know, it was a boutique company, but still doing, you know, a half a million dollars a year with not too much overhead and, you know, you know, a family run business with a couple of great people that everybody was incentivized, you know, but it was a nice business. Um, that was our business. So that yeah. went to zero. Um, everything else that I had, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're not really relying on a paycheck. You're, you know, you're creating, you're creating your life, you're creating your income. So I just pivoted, found something else to do with, with the knowledge that I had. Um, I had a lot of fun doing it. I made some, I, I met some great people and learned some new um, skills that I think were helping me. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, okay, so you brought up Gary. I mean, Gary and I have been close. We've been friendly for about 10 years. The relationship started to escalate um, how did you meet? How did you meet Gary Vee originally? So uh, one of my best friends' name is Ben Lear, uh, okay. who, who's an uh, awesome guy, an entrepreneur, and big media, uh, big media guy. He created Thrillist, uh, Group Nine Media. Um, okay, was yeah. acquired by Vox. Um, ben was close with Gary, and through just kind of you know our social circles all overlapping. We all started spending time together. Uh, Gary, you know, became super close with my other best friend, Ryan Harwood, who was a creator and CEO of Pure Wow. And, okay. yep. and about five years ago, I think it was 2017, Gary acquired Pure Wow. Um, and, you know, their relationship continued to just get closer and then became business partners. And, you know, Ryan became the CEO of the publishing arm uh, gallery media under VaynerX, which is Gary's, you know, uh, larger company. Um, so again, just spending time together, watching each other, um, you know, Gary sees and watches everything. And he also was an investor, uh, of mine at MPayOne. So he supported me, you know, five, I think back 2014, he was an investor of, uh, of mine and, um, I think just by, you know, the friendship and him seeing my work ethic, he started to, I believe, develop trust in me. And I think he, um, likes, 
uh, going into business with friends and people that he trusts and people that work hard and he likes giving them a shot. Um, over COVID, which was just really, really strange, um, we got to spend a lot more time together because his calendar was very different than it normally was. He wasn't traveling as much, doing big keynotes or, you know, his, his different, you know, his businesses operate in different, you know, cities and countries. He had less travel. He had more time locally. Uh, you know, we had a small bubble, myself, Ryan Harwood, Gary Vaynerchuk, just started spending more time together. Um, and that just, you know, the relationship just continued to grow and build. And I was keeping him up to date on all the things I was doing with the donut business and um, just kind of how I pivoted over COVID. Um, and then we just started speaking about what does the hospitality industry look like, hopefully on the other side of COVID and what happens if you match, you know, operators that, you know, are, are talented and kind and caring and are good at what they do, what happens if you also match branding and marketing and tech? Something that, you know, the hospitality industry hasn't really seen a lot of. If you combine the two, we just felt like that was a, a potion um, for success. Um, you know, and it actually, it, 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 I rewind, let me rewind a moment. I missed one other key piece. Gary also sits on the board of a company called Bojangles, which is okay. a fried chicken, amazing, uh, you know, fast casual chain from the South, which my other best friend, Eric Sabaka, who's a private equity guy, he bought Bojangles, who's also close with Gary. And because of Gary's marketing expertise, brought Gary into the board of Bojangles. So over COVID, what, one of our fun exercises was talking about, should we be bringing Bojangles to the Northeast? into the New Jersey landscape, because both Gary, Gary, you know, was from New Jersey um, after coming from Belarus, and I now live in New Jersey. So we were going to grow Bojangles into this big, you know, master franchise. And through just talking about that and um, having a lot of fun and talking about creative ideas, um, I think my appetite for um, something that was just more wide open and not, not uh, just kind of uh, scaling somebody else's brand, but creating our own brands became more, more interesting at the time. So, um, started thinking about how to structure it. What does it look like at the same time? Um, I was having conversations with Josh Capon, who's a dear friend, who's a very talented chef. Um, he was, uh, the chef partner of lore and Bowery meat company and a lot of other favorite places in Manhattan. And he's just a really well-liked guy. I, I feel, you know, he and I operate very similarly. We're very hospitable. We care about people. We like being around people. So um, there was always something that that uh, made me feel connected to Josh. And it's also how I ended up moving to where I moved. One day, he invited me out to the Burbs to just spend the day with my family. Um, that's how I got introduced to Bergen County. It was right over the GW Bridge. And just a beautiful area and such proximity to Manhattan. And we spent the day and I'm like, wow, I gotta, I gotta move out here. So I moved out here and Josh and I started spending more time together. And I felt that we were going to end up doing something together, whether it was that year, 10 years from now, it just felt 
comfortable and I felt like we operated at a similar a similar level with, with similar interests. Um, so he and I were having conversations for a while, but you know it's very difficult to align everybody's life where they are, their needs, their family. It's you can have all the intent and passion and interest, but it's it's cumbersome to to make it make sense and to cater to everybody's needs and um, concerns and you know lifestyles and everything. Um, so through a lot of conversation. Um, oh, uh, another thing I just forgot. We're now in. We're Gary and I committed to doing a hospitality business together in the end of December, first week of January, 2021. So now this is only like 14 months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. January 13th, I read an article on LinkedIn. Uh, Vayner Talent is now officially born, uh, which is Gary's talent agency. I'm in bed with my wife, just kind of reading, you know, news to catch up. And at the time, Josh was rep by William Morris Agency. Okay. And throughout COVID, Josh created something called Cooking with the Capons on Instagram, where he did this cooking show with his daughter, Amanda. Um, he included his whole family. It was beautiful. It was a lot of fun. It was engaging. It was authentic. It was organic. And I just felt like, you know, you know, he's he's been on TV a ton and he does a lot of stuff with Rachel Ray and Bobby Flay. But I just felt like there was just so much more to do with Josh Capon and his brand and his IP. And so I text Josh on January 13th. Hey, you know, Vayner Talent is now, they were already doing this under their other company, but it wasn't, I don't think it was as, uh, it wasn't as formed or uh, mm -hmm. official. And I felt like Vayner Talent should rep Capon. And so I asked Josh if, if he's okay for having that conversation. I asked Gary if he was okay for me to, you know, have that so, conversation with Josh. Um, both were, were happy to have that conversation. They knew each other. They were friendly, but nothing, you know, nothing more than that. Uh, the next week later, Gary and I had plans to have dinner out in the suburbs at my house. We then pivoted and have it, had it at Josh's house, got them to have fun together. And that was really the, 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 the start of VCR group. Josh, you know, I think Josh loved me and was excited about a partnership with me, but let's call a spade a spade. I'm not Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary came into the mix, which clearly is the Delta or the, the, <laughs> the, big, the big differentiator in this conversation that I think gave Josh that last ounce of confidence um, that, that moved this over the point that allowed him to feel um, ready to pursue uh, something different in his life. And the last piece was Josh and this gentleman, Connor Hanlon, who was also a very decorated chef and incredible operator, who was one of the head people at the NoHo Hospitality Group, which was the Carmelini Group. Uh, he and Josh were friends, watch each other's careers, and we're looking to find ways to do something together down the road. Um, so then I started meeting with Connor as well found a way uh, to get everybody aligned. We formed VCR Group, which was stood for Vaynerchuk, Capon, and Rodolitz. Yeah. Um, but uh, Connor was able to join uh, shortly right after forming VCR Group um, and was brought in at a partner level. 
because he's an incredible operator and, and a real talent. So that's how VCR was formed. Um, you know, and the thesis behind it was try to leverage media and technology mm-hmm. in all facets of the food and beverage industry to create more value, right? It's a beautiful it. industry, but it's really hard to monetize. And yeah. outside of the, the 10% that do really well that you always hear about, you know, most of the groups don't unfortunately do well and you put your, you know, you put your life into it and you raise a lot of money and you have all these assumptions and unfortunately operators, you know, are usually last in the waterfall and they yeah. don't really make money. So our idea was leverage Gary as media and tech, bring that to an industry that people love and want, but, but are, are, have a challenging business model to find ways to extract value, whether it's through content, whether it's through IP creation, whether it's through NFTs. So now March comes along, Gary comes yep. to my house for brunch. Um, he walks in the house and said, NFTs are the only thing that matter at this point. They're gonna revolutionize the world. Roddy, you're fucking lucky that we agreed to a partnership You know, two months ago. Because if this was two months later, I am just head down on NFTs. It's the only thing I want to focus on. It, you know, so quickly I learned what that meant. Gary told me to buy a CryptoPunk. I bought a CryptoPunk, started immersing myself and educating myself of that world. Um, in April, May, Gary is conceptualizing and creating his first IP NFT project called VFriends. Mm-hmm if you don't know, was just a tremendous success of IP creation through all these different characters, uh, but also in real life, uh, you know, events and conferences called VCon um, and just paved the way for everybody else. Gary throughout 2021 became debatably the spokesperson or trailblazer for the NFT community, went all in, learned everything Web3, started investing in these projects personally and professionally. Um, and I started spending a lot of time thinking about how are we going to apply NFTs to the hospitality space, wrote out a lot of different ideas. And then there was an aha moment uh, in May-ish of um, membership clubs have always existed. They got accelerated over COVID because people wanted to be in more private communities rather than public communities. And through NFT technology, you know, our project wasn't about collectibles or whether a punk or an ape or a rock is worth millions of dollars or not. We love our artwork. We believe in our artwork, but ours was about, you know, utility. You know, NFTs allow you to authenticate ownership. Correct. Think about that. It's just tremendous. And then to also think about that you could instantly sell that ownership you could transfer that ownership. You could lease that ownership to somebody else without, you know, tons of middlemen or months in between, you know, through your smartphone. It, it's that innovation is incredible. So, so you, you're going to, you're going to create a restaurant, correct? And then you're going to use NFTs, correct? So for the person now, and for the person listening, well, I've got I've got so many questions. You, you're yeah. such an interesting you're such an interesting cat. I mean, I, the first question I have to ask before we get into this technology is that I remember 
what was the place on First Avenue with the guy from the vodka company that you and Adam tried to take over? There was a there was yeah, a restaurant was, or a club. So my my MBA was Wasn't a, lot it a of, club or something. I got a good memory. It was a long it, time ago. It was a place called Arshile, which we That's turned right. into Idol. Idol. That's right. All right. So here. All right. So and the reason I, I that was my MBA. Adam and I lost all of our money in three months. I remember, but how's this? I'll never forget this. And this is why it's interesting. You have a very, very unique ability to pivot quick. And this is why I was going to tell you this. You're a very, very left brain guy. And I'll never forget you were going on a date with a girl and you literally had planned everything to the T so brilliantly. But I loved you because you know why? It just showed me how analytical you were of how everything it's you i remember this i never forget this. i had the spreadsheet. spreadsheet yeah the spreadsheet see how good my memory is i may have did a lot of coaching. i cannot I believe I, you remember that dude i remember it and you literally broke it down and we had a meeting and you said to me diamond we want to work with you what are we going to do with you because you're wow. so creative but we want to structure this and then i was like we'll come into snitches you know it, whatever is uh promoters but what i love that you said that i want people to understand so you know, most people are going to get Gary V and get complacent, right? But then Gary came to you. And, and my, what I've loved about this theme about you is this ability to pivot quick for a guy that's very, you're very left brain, but you still have this incredible ability to get creative in your right brain, but then organize it. It's a very yeah. unique ability. You're very, you're, it's very impressive. So what I love was that Gary's like, look, two months ago, I, it, dude, I, you'd be nothing to me now. You've got to figure this out. And what people don't understand is that if you don't figure out the creative option for the NFT in the restaurant, Gary's not partnering with you. Yeah. He's sticking with NFTs. So now let's jump in. So for the people that are lay people, right? You have an NFT. Did you create the NFT that then they buy or do they create the NFT? Yeah. Secondly, now the second question I want to ask is, the club experience, if you're going into the club, right? Because we know that you don't want to be like racist or whatever, but you have a particular type that you're going after, a particular audience. Is there also a metaverse component to the club that get people get a virtual experience? So NFT first and that jump in, jump in because you're- right. So we, we sought out to create the most badass private dining club that exists. Perfect. On the blockchain. So think oh, of a- wow. Think of a Soho house, right? A, a great place to enjoy social experiences. You know, what they do is incredible. You might have a local golf club or country club that you love going to. So this idea idea of member clubs have existed forever, yeah. right? But the idea of owning a membership mm-hmm. and being able to really call that an asset, yep. is, is, to me is, is the, new, huge. the new huge piece here that you could potentially monetize or do what you want with. So through the NFT, we were able to allow people to buy a membership, which means there's no reoccurring fees. There is not, you know, I get a bill every year. I pay it. I have a minimum of food and beverage. You know, you're essentially just renting a social experience from somebody else that's creating this, these experiences for you. We felt like, you know, imagine if the people that were grandfathered into their tables at Rayos. Imagine if they actually owned that. What wow, that's brilliant. What would that be worth? Yeah, so that was yeah. an aha moment. NFTs were what facilitated this ability 
We're leveraging the technology to, um, to create new ways to monetize food and beverage. So what this does for us is it takes a model that normally just relies on restaurant EBITDA, right? Mm -hmm. Just hopefully your, your restaurant sales exceeding your restaurant expenses. That's what operators like me and most others have always relied on is that small sliver. And you raise a lot of money and put in all of this work for hopefully that, that little sliver to yield 10 to 18%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, the margin of error is really high that if you miscalculate any piece, you're, you're, you're in a very dangerous place. And people don't realize this one aspect, but in the restaurant industry, you know, or any kind of relying on servers or bartenders or, you know, hospitality, it's like, yes, you pay these people, but most of their money comes from tips, right? Right. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're, you're raising a bunch of money, you're designing a place, building a space, you're doing all of these things that are, you know, very, um, you know, detail oriented, thousands of steps, millions of dollars, a year to two to probably figure all that out and get it going. And then you're putting, you could do all the training you want, but then you're putting all of that in the hands of somebody that doesn't really work for you full time. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually, when you really think about that, it's, it's risky as hell. very risky and dangerous. Yeah, yeah you're right? right. People that might be aspiring to do something else, this might not be their career, you know, so that's always been a, a difficulty with the hospitality industry. So through NFTs, it, it, it woke me up that we could have now have three tiers to our financial model. Tier one was upfront sales, right? Mm-hmm. You minting the NFT. Minting is the process of, of turning a digital file into a digital asset. And yes. it's the first time somebody is buying the token from you. So we designed all the artwork, we hired different artists, we hired front-end designers, we hired a full-stack developers that, you know, build the website, you know, on the front-end and the back-end. And then the new piece, which was really tricky, is the Web3 and the developers that understand the blockchain, um, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies. And then you have to also have an intelligent project manager or engineer that's able to connect all three of those to make it sync. Full stack developer web three, all of those. So they're speaking together. And, and so we put all that together, we designed it. um, And so we minted the tokens to create the upfront sales, which went very well. We sold out in less than a minute. Um, and I, I just want to be clear on why I think that that happened. I think it was a perfect storm of a lot of things that, you know, we really, we sought out to be the first to bring this to market. That's why if you go back in our history, you'll see that Gary went on CNBC in August. We didn't have a space. We didn't have anything besides for the idea and the conviction that we were going to do it. Um, and the confidence that this was going to work. And Gary went on CNBC and announced that we're going to be the first of its kind to do it. So I think it was being the first of its kind. I think there's this huge excitement towards NFTs and cryptocurrency of being a part of yep. something 
there's a community, there's people that are just really rallying behind this idea. There's people that um, really start to communicate with their phones and social currency, who they are, what they like, what they're into, what are their passions. Social currency is real. FOMO is real. Um, I think that there are people that really just love great food and beverage and dining clubs and member clubs and exclusivity. So I think you're seeing that play a role. And then I think the last piece that that you're seeing um, is the partnership with Gary Vaynerchuk. And he is unbelievable. He is the best dude in the world. Everything he says, he does. He's a tremendous operator and his platform and his credibility and all the value that he's created for people over, you know, his decades of, of being an entrepreneur, um, all of that energy and goodwill, I think, has uh, connected to Fly Fish Club and the VCR group and has given us an ability to go to market um, before even having the real estate secured. I honestly, and I might be too humble on this, but I think that that accounts for 50%. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. And like I told you, Dave has had an incredible journey as an entrepreneur. I mean, if you've come this far, you will realize what I said at the start. I mean, starting his entrepreneurial career at 13, going to college, throwing parties in college, you know, working for me in 2004, you know, crawling his way up the ladder as a promoter, giving out flyers, doing whatever it took to be successful. And now he's in partnership with Gary V. So it's like, it, you know, it's work that has no end. And Dave is living proof of that. So like I always say, go out and drop a dose of positivity on someone else and be kind. Seriously, be kind. There's a lot of people out there sick and suffering and anyone can be a dick. Don't be a dick. And that was your dose of positivity with Mike Diamond.